Hello, my friends, and welcome back to Idle Chatter. I'm your host, Ray Bohax, the hot rod farmer coming to you from Cat Swamp Road. I was a little bit late getting onto the mic over here because I was taking off my wristwatch. For some reason, I don't know why, uh, when I write, so when I'm typing, because that's writing today, and uh, when I do the podcast or the radio show, when I'm recording, for some reason, I find my wristwatch to be annoying. And I wear a wristwatch all the time. So who knows? I guess it's one of those bizarre, bizarre things. But I want to thank you so much for joining me today on Idle Chatter. And I got a couple of housekeeping things I need to go over that I've been neglecting. And then we're going to get into this topic of today's show. And I'll talk about that in a minute or so. But I also want to explain to you what is happening with the uh, postings of the of the episodes. And I, I changed it around a little bit. And on Mondays, what is going to post, and obviously it's always up as a podcast, so if you don't listen to it Monday, I just will be very appreciative if you ever listen to it. It doesn't have to be on Monday. But uh, we're starting to go in rotation and posting the old episodes of Idle Chatter. And I think I told you about that last week. And uh, I know a couple of you have listened to it that reached out to me. I know more than a couple of you have listened, but have reached out. And it's the last week was, and that will still be up there for you to see. And it was episode 00, uh, was my introductory podcast. And then, so every week, every Monday, we will have an archived idle chatter going from the first show forward. And since there's almost, I don't know, I would say it's probably 250 or 260 of those shows and over 300 podcasts with the other ones all together, is that it'll take quite some time for us to run through those. So that is going to be on Mondays. On Tuesdays is going to be this short 60-second show, Bushels and Cents. On Wednesday will be this show, a current, a new version, a new, a new episode, that version of Idle Chatter. On Thursdays will be an on-the-road episode when we have one and if we don't have one there will be nothing and then on friday will be the hot rod farmer 60 second uh show short show it actually goes a little bit more about 62 or 65 seconds and then on saturdays will be the previous the previous uh week's episode of uh farm machinery digest radio from sirius xm so that is going to be the lineup. So God willing, this Thursday, we will have our first Thursday posting of On the Road, where we used to post those on Monday. And that is going to be On the Road to Jeffrey Mondell. And uh, so hopefully you get a chance at one particular point to listen to that. And I'm going to ask you a favor. And uh, I feel awkward saying it to you. And uh, But I, 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 I don't know. Well, whatever. Let me just say it. Uh, If you have the inclination and you do listen to Jeffrey's podcast, and he is the one who is incarcerated, and you, like I say, if so, if you have the inclination to listen to it, and if you have the inclination afterwards, after you listen to it, if you want to send Jeffrey a note, and uh, that would be so, so appreciated by him and by me, uh, this guy gets no mail at all whatsoever, 
And uh, if you feel awkward, uh, you'd have to reach out to me and email me and I could give you his mailing address. But then I was thinking about that because I said that on Jeffrey's episode. If so many people email today, so if it would be more convenient for you and you'd feel more comfortable, then you could email me at hotrodfarmer at farmmachinerydigest.com and uh, send me a note or a letter or whatever you want to send to Jeff. Uh, I would appreciate if you put your name on it. If you don't want to put your full name, you know, just put your first name on them. And the guy's the guy's a pussycat, so you don't have to worry about anything. But I certainly understand if you don't want to, so you don't have to give him your mailing address or what have you. And if you email those to me, then what I'll do is I'll print them off and I will I will put it physically in the mail to Jeffrey. So if you if you want to if if like I say if your heart is so inclined just to write him a note and tell him you enjoyed the show. If you did, if you didn't enjoy the show, I don't want anything here to be phony, all right? So that's not what we're about. And if, like I said, if you sincerely would like to drop him a note and it could be as long or short as you want, uh, email it to me. If you want to put your name, Ray Bohax, or whatever, obviously it's my name, but you know, Joe Clark, uh, Cincinnati, Ohio, fine. If you want to just say Joe from Ohio, fine. And I know that he would be so, 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 so thrilled uh for that and you wouldn't you'll never realize and i mean that sincerely how much good you will do for his heart and for his soul if somebody writes him a letter so uh and if you send it to me you don't have to worry about his address you don't have to worry about anything you don't have to you can feel 100 percent secure not that you're sending a letter to prison you're sending an email into hot rod farmer i'll print it out leave you if you want to if you want to include your mailing address he'll be he would love to write back you would have to be physically through the mail though he could not send he can't send any emails or anything and that's it so like i say but let the lord speak to your heart if you want to do that fantastic if you don't want to do that fantastic i certainly understand that so that is that and let me see what else we have over here got a bunch of things all over the place all righty uh first of all what i'm uh let me get to this person first here. Okay. Alrighty. I'm shuffling my papers around because I'm trying I'm trying to bring some efficiency to this, to this show, which is a, a monumental task, and this cheap chair is creaking. Alrighty. A while back, uh, Mr. Allen, and I'm going to pronounce it Dyke, and his, his name is spelled D-Y-K-E-D-Y-C-K. I don't think it's Dick. I think it's Dyke, uh, and he's from Western Canada. And he wrote me a letter, or emailed me a letter, uh, let's see, March 10th. Well, I guess it wasn't too terribly long ago, but it, it's longer than I, than, than I had hoped to. Uh, and what he did is he wrote me a very nice letter, and I'll read it to you. It says, Mr. Bohax, please consider sharing your opinion on the following question. I am searching for the reason why some older tractors have braked have brakes that are located on the separate bull uh, uh, respectfully there's a word missing here so that's why I'm, let me go back here i'm searching for the reason why some older tractors have brakes located on a separate bull pinion shaft rather than on the axle shaft as per my 1952 fordson major diesel mechanical drum 
From an engineering perspective, what appears to be this with that appears to be an unnecessary and extra cost in design and fabrication. And since I must still remove the rear wheels to replace the drum shoes, the design benefits are not obviously over a brake design on the drive axle. Thank you very much. And once again, I apologize, sir, if I pronounce your name wrong. And what he basically did, he wrote to me back in March, and then I wrote back to him and uh i said to him mr dick dyke i am uh recording my shows the next day or so and i will be on the road early next week i will share my thoughts then and that was back in march that was march 10th so what basically happened is i once again i messed up and i accidentally erased his email so now i knew i wanted to respond to him and i erased his email so i could obviously not put on the show and then mr dyke you'll reach back out to me and rightfully so just and very nicely and asking me if i got a chance to do it answer his question or try to answer his question and i told him i was so happy that he got back to me because i erased his email and i'm not laughing but uh this stuff is you you know gets whatever i'm not gonna you know i'm not gonna make an excuse i messed up all right uh but so before we get into this mr dyke's question is that uh you know if ever you reach out to me and i say i'm going to respond to you and i don't respond to you or or whatever please just reach out to me again because i there's probably a 95 percent chance i lost your email or i mean deleted it accidentally all right so that is what the issue is there all right so now basically in essence uh to answer mr dyke's question about having brakes on a bull pinion instead of uh out on the axle shafts like a car would have or a truck uh, so basically in essence you could in simple in simplistic terms you consider it's almost like inboard brakes so it's actually in the gear uh, in the i'll say in the differential where it's really not so uh on a farm tractor so i'm going to give you an opinion uh mr dyke or i'm going to call you alan so i don't respectfully so i don't keep calling you by pronouncing your name wrong that'd be annoying when you're listening to this you're right uh so i'm going to give you an opinion and it's going to be based on just my experience with no credibility beyond that when you look at something in engineering oftentimes we scratch our heads and say why did they do that why did they put that there why did they do this design and if you're not privy to what happened in that engineering meeting or that design meeting or whatever you want to call it or all of the above then we're only guessing and specifically when something functions fine so for instance let's say uh if you could look at most older or most carbureted engines or carbureted cars i use cars for example uh probably 99.9 percent of them had specifically american cars had a mechanical fuel pump but i remember when i was a young man in college and i worked in a buick there we're going to get to that that's going to be part of the story i remember the buick century with the three liter v6 <clears throat> which was carbureted had an electric in tank fuel pump so now why was that nobody from buick ever came to me and told me why so i'm only <clears throat> excuse me i'm just going to uh kill us for a second okay i'm back uh 
Why did that ha- Why did they do that? I have no idea why. I would only guess why they did it, but I don't know why. Right? In that particular instance, uh, I think it was because the other motors were all fuel injected and that engine was carbureted, so I guess they could build the same gas tank uh, and the same sending unit, just change the fuel pump. But honestly, I do not know why. Okay, I'm, I'm connecting dots that maybe I should not connect but it was a surprise to me. So basically, in essence, the thing is that Mr. Uh, Mr. Or Allen's question, we'll call you Mr. Allen. Allen's question is why would they do that instead of just putting the brakes on the axle shaft? Like, like make, to him, it's overly complicated, and I agree. All right, so here's a general rule of thumb with older farm tractors is that there's usually two places, usually, because you can't say every place. Because somebody says, oh, there was a 1942, this or that, or what had it. So uh, so usually, right, there's two points, that two places that the uh, that these vintage or older, tra- well, at those, well, let me look back up. Those, there's two points where back years ago they would put the brakes in a farm tractor. So, and, it's, and it was dependent upon whether the, differential we'll call it that used a used bull gears <clears throat> to the drive act to pull, excuse me that the models use bull gears right the ones that usually had bull gears had the brakes located inside the side of the transmission and the ones that had a pinion shaft and ring gear in combination with a spider gear set a spider gears meant you could easily turn to turn left and turn right all right typically had typically had the brakes located on the drive axle or the wheel hubs so basically in essence if it used if it used a bull pinion or a bull gear it usually had internal brakes in that housing and if it used an automotive style situation all right with a with a pinion ring and pinion gear and a spider gear setup it usually had what we'd say external or outboard brakes all right so why i think that was was a was a, com- a number of reasons <clears throat> but it gets back to that buick unless somebody was there and said no i i worked i'll tell you what i did all right from an engineering perspective mr allen is correct it seems more complicated uh it seems more expensive to make but sometimes that's not always the case but what it did what it did do is allowed the assembly in the factory to be put together as one unit so it probably made the final assembly of the tractor easier and quicker so even though it had more upfront costs it made it easier and quicker to put it probably made it easier and quicker because they probably did it as a whole assembly and bolted it into the tractor all right the other thing is that when you have the brakes inboard on a bull pinion is that uh, i'm calling it inboard <clears throat> but enclosed they're <coughs> excuse me <clears throat> they're less apt to be exposed to weather to moisture and what have you so that is my take on it i know that is not the answer that alan wanted so both were effective both were effective breaks but you have to recognize is that when they build something and that's still true today they look at the whole total package and they may say oh yeah it's more complicated to mr allen's point it's more expensive to do it that way so let's say arguably we're adding ten dollars to the price of the tractor that way but but we're subtracting eight dollars from 
the manufacturing costs, the assembly costs, are $12 from the assembly costs. Or they may have said, well, well, if we use this same setup, the same bolt, pinion, and brake setup on a piece of construction equipment, we could amortize that cost, and then it is going to bring the price even down more, and we may have less warranty claims because we don't have trouble with the brake. So honestly, I do not know. It's two different ways to skin a cat, all right? But ultimately, they came to the same end net result where the tractor stopped. Now, granted, <clears throat> to Mr. To Allen's point, <clears throat> excuse me, the Allen's point is that I'm going to get a drink of water here. For like, let me put on this dragster. <clears throat> Thank God for that dragster. <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, so anyway. To Alan's point, uh, it doesn't make it easier for the farmer to service it. I think it makes it more complex for the farmer to service it. But do they really care about that? So the thing is that there's all different ways of doing things in engineering. And sometimes they're good ideas. Sometimes they're, 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 the idea is not better or worse. But there's other economies of scale or it gives them more practicality. Or they may say, well, I'm really interested in just... In just uh, having weather protection so because we're going to sell these to the military and they have to put them on the water so we don't know that unless somebody reveals it and everything in engineering and i've said this many times before is a compromise and it's what compromises are you willing to accept and for some reason they chose on this uh what was it a ford uh what i do with it here excuse me uh it was a 1952 Fordson, which is the English Ford, major diesel, nice tractor. Why they chose to do it that way was, uh, a, I'm not going to say a mystery. They had a reason for it. Whether the reason holds weight with us or not, it's like anything. Just like you say, well, how did that girl fall in love with that guy? Or how did that, that guy get that girl? I mean, unless they come and tell you the story, you can't you can't explain it. So uh, that is basically that. So sorry, Alan, I've waited. You waited so long for a partial answer, but unless you did some research and found someone who was privy to all of that back then, we honestly don't know. And over the years, in every company, car company, tractor company, uh, television company, washing machine company, uh, airplane company there's been decisions that have been made to prove to be right to prove to be more complicated prove to be a nightmare uh for instance like on my when i met my wife uh she had an 88 buick regal and it had rear wheel disc brakes and it had gm came out with the parking brake in the caliper uh to move the piston out and for some reason that design would always freeze up uh and the brakes would seize and you'd have to change the calipers at that particular point uh i used to just buy rebuilt calipers it wasn't i had to get her car back on the road and uh and why they did that i have no idea uh, her, her escape has uh, has a uh, parking brake in the caliper like that not like the gm design a little bit different and i'm not going to say it's been problematic not like we never had to put uh, put calipers on it 
but the thing is that it doesn't wear the sh- the pads as as well as you would think on the back. So who knows? Was it a bad design? Was it a good design? I particularly think in on my wife's car is that the sliders kind of I should say kind of that's engineering kind of have a tendency to stick a little bit and the pads never gets the wheel hot or anything and the pads don't return because I think they have too much front brake bias on that vehicle and my wife is very very delicate with the very easy on the brakes even though she sits in traffic so if let's say if you have a 80 percent bias towards the front then when so when she's stopping the car and stepping on the brake the amount of of movement the, the range of motion of that caliper in the back is is not is not far and interestingly enough using that as an example uh, I never put front brakes in her car. I put rear brakes twice. It was simply because the, the the sliders got a little bit rusty, and the pads would rub all the time. So who knows? Not everything is a good design, but that is it. I'm sorry, sir, for taking so long to get back to you, and uh, for probably not giving you the answer that you wanted. Now, getting back to getting back to last week's show, which was mechanical mysteries right i got a wonderful letter here a wonderful mechanical mystery from bruce long time listener i'm gonna try it again bruce jack you bork house i'm gonna say because your sister told me it's house jack you bork house so this is what he writes to me he's and bruce is a very i really you know i really got to get him i don't know why i didn't approach i really got to do an on the road episode with him because bruce is very very passionate about all things mechanical and a very accomplished man and i think he would be i I think i know he'd be a wonderful guest so i have to talk to bruce about that but anyway so he writes ray the mechanical mystery episode was terrific well thank you very much bruce my mystery involved a VW Rabbit from the 80s. I needed a car for work, so I bought the Rabbit cheap because it was hit hard in the driver's door, but otherwise mechanically sound with low miles. I drove it home with zero issues, pre-pulled the damage between two trees at home, installed a used door and quarter panel, and painted the car 1970 Chevelle blue, put on new tires and got it registered. Perfect, right? So great. Once on the road, it developed a positive. It developed positive crankcase pressure to the point where I had to run the breather into a big soda bottle so that I could pour the oil back into the crankcase. With compressed air, I isolated the leak to cylinder number three. I pulled the head and carefully examined the valves and head and found nothing. Then I dropped the piston, expecting a broken ring land, but the piston and rings were fine. Finding nothing, I reassembled the motor, and the problem persisted. I grew to hate this car and sold it at a loss to a friend who was a very competent mechanic and a VW fan. I asked him some time later what he found, and he laughed, saying, "After what I, he's saying after what Bruce went through, he put a used engine in it and junked that engine without attempting any repairs." That was 30 years ago, and it still bugs me. So that is absolutely, well, it's a fantastic story. It's great for, for content for my show. It's not great when you're working on it. And there it goes, is that this is a legitimate, a legitimate mechanical mystery. This thing was building so much positive crankcase pressure on cylinder three, pushing the oil out, of, out on this 
took the whole thing apart, looked at it, nothing wrong, put it back together, and that is one cure. It like my S10 went to the junkyard, right? Uh, with the carburizing. The junkyard cures everything. So I want to thank you so much, Bruce, for sharing that I'm saying wonderful a wonderful story 30 years later and i certainly know how that haunts you because everything that i told you last week in that show still haunts me plus others i don't want to go on for two hours so thank you so much bruce and please take this as an open invitation to uh consider doing an on the road episode with me one day please Alrighty, then uh, a little bit different of a mechanical mystery, not so much like Bruce's or what I had, but still a mystery. Remember I told you about that 1971 dart swing where I had that I changed all the, the hoses on it and uh, and did the, every, every connection leaked like a sieve. <laughs> I started it up. Well, my friend Gene got back to me, and I forgot all about this, and that was a slant six dart dodge dart right swing a two door but it for some reason it came from the factory with the eight and three quarter inch rear which was a heavy duty rear that would have been like in a uh, 340 dart 340 back then or a performance application so a road runner or what have you so for some reason and i forgot all about that and gene reached out to me and said to me what about the eight and that was a mystery not a it was a mechanical mystery to the sense not where a problem or failure but why would this car was it destined to be a 340 car and then somebody messed up and that car was actually a canadian built dart it was built in the windsor assembly plant right outside of detroit but to add something else to that <laughs> which wasn't a mechanical mystery and i don't believe like i say as a christian of curses or what have you i don't believe in that whatsoever but that dot was cursed because let me uh i bought the car for four hundred dollars right uh nice car and then my uncle or uh, chris was up here in hackettstown and then a woman ran through a stop a stop sign by uh the post office with a ford granada back then and uh, hit the dot front fender in the dot i mean it was broke the headlight and the headlight aim was off but the front fender was was banged up and then what had happened is i had and when i was in college and i parked the pocket on the street i was walking back i'm going to talk about the college today a little bit walking back to uh the car and i see something on my dashboard it was a residential neighbor on the dashboard under my windshield i was oh god i got a ticket right and it was a, a, a somebody had written me a note it was a female because i could tell by the writing i got all excited right but it wasn't a very nice girl i don't remember never met her and she was parking her car and walking to the college and a new york city garbage truck went and sideswiped the dot and uh so she copied down she thought it was terrible that they that they just kept going and sideswiped my car so she wrote down the license plate number of the garbage truck and sanitation department and what have you so i could get re get uh restitution from them which i did but the car never got fixed and then my buddy gene and i were riding on a long island expressway and it was in the evening it was dark it was in the winter time it wasn't that late maybe seven o'clock and a, a drunk driver rear-ended me at 60 miles an hour and he ended up being an off-duty cop <clears throat> and that was a story unto itself because i chased him 
And then I pulled him out of the car, and then he was so drunk, and then he pulled a gun on us, so whatever, but that's a story for some other time. And then ultimately, my father got into an accident, which was not his fault, on I-80, and almost got killed in that car. And uh, he had a basal skull fracture, he had a broken jaw, broken ribs, some internal injuries, and thank God my mother was not with him because she would have definitely got killed because it was a, uh, a uh, oil or heat, home heating oil straight axle delivery truck that hit him and went into the, the car was bent like a U and it was a two door hard top but the metal top was up in the air like it was a uh, convertible going up and they had to actually had to cut him out in the jaws of life so that car was definitely definitely uh had some kind of whammy on it right from the get-go so sometimes that happens right so so yes that was so thank you for reminding me about that gene and then also this has nothing to do with mechanical mysteries but i got the got the old john deere uh d110 lawn tractor out yesterday to start to cut some grass and started right up beautifully boom like it's like it ran yesterday and then i uh and cut the grass by the house and i wanted to go cut by the cornfield and then put it away because it's supposed to rain before i did the show and i go and the thing is dead dead uh basically in essence the battery broke inside so it's called southern death sudden sudden death syndrome for batteries and i actually will have a old podcast the next week or two coming up that talks about sds so we think about sds for uh for soybeans right but batteries suffer sds so it's a uh 2017 so it's a five-year-old battery started beautifully yesterday ran for an hour and a half mowing beautifully shut it off the good thing i didn't shut it off yesterday because my wife wanted to talk to me so i i said oh so i i just said i'm not going to shut it off and so what do you want and then uh and then uh, just said yell in my ear and uh, that was it so basically just keep that in mind and hopefully you listen to that episode about sudden death syndrome for batteries very 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 important and it explains to what happens actually in essence the battery broke inside and uh, so you could check out that if you would like and if you don't want to check it out then email me and i will give you a little bit more explanation all right so we have that we have this let me shuffle these papers around here all right oh 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 jesus good thing i shuffled them i owe another person an apology and that's mr kip parham from royston georgia and he gave me a pin in my map uh and uh i don't know i think i i may, may have mentioned him in last week's show but I have to mention you on the mention him on the radio show next week. So, Mister Mister Parham, if you're getting mentioned twice, uh, then I, <laughs> I I ask you to forgive me. But uh, I I need to mention you on the radio show. I think I mentioned you on last week's Idle Chatter. So uh, sorry about that, and sorry about everybody getting messed up with these shows. All right. So let me see what we have here. All righty what we're going to talk about today it's going to be another light-hearted show and hopefully it shouldn't go too long uh, and then next week we'll get back into something a little well a little bit more serious all right but what i would call what i'm going to call this episode i may not physically call it that it's going to be urban myths old wives tales and modern lore 
and it is no lack of opinions about things with machinery, with engines, with cars, with tractors. But, you know, there was years ago, there were a lot of people who said things and uh, it came, you know, it's like anything in life. If you hear it often enough, you believe it. And that's the sad part about the media today is that they, and if you look into it, they all have one set of talking points. I don't care whether you live in California or Oklahoma or New Jersey, you put on any mainstream media, they're going to actually have the same talking points about anything that has to do with this country. And they may word it a little bit differently, and sometimes they don't even bother to do that. So the mindset being, which is that, which is true, the more you hear something, the more, and and that's what happens with a liar, right? A liar tells so many lies that he begins to believe it. He or she begins to believe it themselves, and that is a uh, that is a sad fact of the human psyche. But so these are going to be some urban myths. But what I first got to do is got to tell you a little bit of a story. And, you know, it was wonderful years ago, and maybe it still is today to some extent with younger people. I have no idea. I'm not young. and uh, But, you know, young guys growing up, I mean, it, it was fantastic. I mean, there was uh, no toxic masculinity. I mean, you could... It was just, it was just, it was just great, great, great times. But when you had a bunch of guys, you, know, you had nicknames for one another. Nothing, nothing was considered. Nobody was insulted. Nobody, nobody was uh, <laughs> confused on what their sex was that day or what their gender, I should say, was that day. So it was nobody was was binary or whatever the heck they call it. It's absolutely crazy. All right. So it was just you know, guys were guys, girls were girls. They looked, they acted like guy acted like a guy. A girl acted like a girl and they looked like each one looked like their respective gender all right so but it was great because and then also you know i was studying electrical engineering is that back then it was all guys i mean there there was maybe today it's different there's there's young ladies in the class and which is fine it doesn't mean that it wasn't bad that there weren't and it wasn't it wasn't bad if there are so but there wasn't so it was it was like guys it was like a i don't want to say a boys club but it was and everybody had you know everybody we all had nicknames we had nicknames at home we had nicknames uh you know in school we all had nicknames and nobody took nobody took offense to it but i remember that it was the beginning, <clears throat> the first day of first, probably yeah, the first day of a new semester, and uh, what it, the class was uh, sinusoidal circuits. They say sinusoidal circuits. Well, that's a circuit that produces a sine wave. So that's its actual official term. Is like sinus sinusoidal. It sounds funny. Uh, it's hard hard to pronounce. So when you say, "Oh, that's a sine wave output," and that's very common today on a lot of sensors, farm equipment, engines. So a sine wave is a varying voltage that that changes polarity. So uh, if you have, I mean, you in your house, your farm shop, uh, residential type of electricity is actually a sine wave and all of the circuits that you have an AC circuit. So you have like my podcast equipment here, my soundboard, unless it's converting it to DC inside, is working on a, a sinusoid, sinusoidal circuit. So it's a sine, a sine wave. But you don't say a sine circuit, you say it's a sine wave. So a sine wave is the output of a sinusoidal circuit. Okay, so that's that. So we're in electronics class, 
and you know, first day of class, and we have this professor, and uh, I'm, I'll use his name uh, because he's probably long gone; would never hear this. And Professor Giudice, and he was in the in the Marine Corps. He was, I mean, out of the Marine Corps at that particular point, and he was so. And so, the first day of school, he goes around. I mean, he, everybody introduces themselves, and then uh, he asks, you know, what would you like to be called? I may have shared this part of the story with you before. People like to be called. So, because my name officially on the ro- on the roster of the college was Raymond Thomas Boax, but at home I was called Butch, and uh, around the farm I was called Butch, and around the family and in school I was called Ray. I never wanted to go by Raymond; it was just Ray. So, uh, so you'd have to announce somebody. I'm Raymond Bohax, Raymond Thomas Bohax, but please, you know, professor, please call me Ray. And it's okay, fine, Ray. Welcome to the class. So we go all around. Now, mind you, uh, a little bit of backstory here. I'm sorry, but I was very, very young. Uh, I would have been in college at 16 years old. Granted, I would have turned 17 two months later, but 16 years old. And, and I had a baby face. I think I shaved like uh, once every two weeks. And all these guys looked older, but we were all cool. Everybody was cool. I mean, they didn't look at me as a as a baby or anything. Everybody was cool. And um, so, but I was, I did, I did look like everybody's kid brother there. All right, so anyway, and that was one, that's one, that was, I almost say it was one of the problems. It, it was, it was, it was fine because we all got along and we all became buddies and we were all, metaphorically partners in crime together though there was no crimes committed if you know what i mean all right so the professor's going around the room and then you know uh i I had a i met him in school there uh thomas and he was from brooklyn and you have to remember this was a couple years after saturday night fever movie came out and uh and there was a lot of italian guys from brooklyn there and everybody, they all thought they were John Travolta. All right, uh, so and they, they didn't come to school in the white suit, but they all got the, had the white suit and what have you. So, so what happened? We go to this guy, this guy Tommy, who I became very friendly with. He lived in Greenpoint, Brooklyn, and uh, so he said, "My name is Thomas. I won't use his last name. I know his remember his last name, out of respect." And uh, I'm sure Professor Gud is no longer with us. But anyway, so he says, "Call me Tommy." All right, so okay, fine. He goes around, and then, uh, <laughs> and then uh, there was a uh, another guy, Richie, and he had a beautiful at the time in a well, it, it was really nice shape. And we were all we were all from working class people. None of us had new cars. We all used cars you buy for three, four hundred dollars. He had this '74 <clears throat> Cutlass, Cutlass. I, I think it was a Cutlass. It wasn't a colonnade roof. Uh, Cutlass, maybe a Cutlass S. And it had a factory 455 Oldsmobile with dual exhaust, factory dual exhaust, Oldsmobile rally wheels. It was green. Uh, with a, <coughs> excuse me, yeah, it was a colonnade. It had a hair final roof, and it had white swivel bucket seats in it. I mean, this thing was cool as anything for us. I mean, and he always used to park with, we used to, when he used to park in the street, he used to park with the wheels turned to the left. And, uh, so he says that's because uh, that's the case i got a blast off so all right fine so we go around so we called him blast off and we knew him from the from the semester before so uh he goes my name is richie but bye bye won't say his last name he says call me blast off so, uh, so the professor goes you want to call yeah call me blast off right so now we get to this guy 
who's much older. I was the baby. The other guys are two or three years older than me. But at that particular point, it made a big difference. All right, so, uh, and now we get to this, this, this one guy who is, I don't want to say much older, probably seven years older than me. So he's in his mid twenties, and two, three of two or three years older than the most of the class. If that makes sense, so so the professor goes that goes said, okay, uh, you know, what would you like to be called? So he sits back in his chair, and goes, call me Mister Schneider. So we're all like looking. So he says, the professor goes, you want me to call you Mr. Schneider? You know, he says, yes, call me Mr. Schneider, please. So he was a, he was a bit of a, a, a res, we were all respectful, wise guys. We were clowns, all right? So anyway, what happens is, all right, so he's Mr. Schneider. So now fast forward a couple of weeks into the class, and uh, the, and uh, Schneider, Mr. Schneider, would always bust everybody's chops. He was, he, like I said, he was a good guy. He was older than all of us. I mean, not by, he wasn't like our father, but five or six, seven years at that particular point. Somebody 25, 24, 25, to a 16, to a 17-year-old is a big difference, right? And he came out of the service. He was going to school in the GI Bill. And uh, so what happens is that the professor is introducing uh, sinusoidal circuits. So he puts his circuit up on the, I guess it was on a blackboard. I don't remember. It wasn't, there was no PowerPoint or anything back then. He puts it up, right? And then he goes and he says, he says, Mr. Schneider. He picked up Schneider. He's the professor because he's from the Marines. He used, to, he used to know how to bust them back. Everybody was respectful. Everybody was fine. It was fun. <clears throat> it made it, excuse me a very good learning environment because we all busted each other's chops and the professor busted our chops and then we would respectfully bust the professor's chops respectfully honoring that he was the professor all right so he goes mr schneider do you know how this circuit works so schneider again here's the way he's just like sit back in his chair and like rock a little bit left and right and put his chin up and he goes yes professor i do know how it works so and so he says, well, will you explain it to us, Mr. Schneider? He goes, certainly I'll explain it to you. He goes, it's very, very simple, Professor. It works on magic. I mean, that was, uh, I mean, it was, you had to be there. I mean, even the Professor laughed. He goes, magic, Mr. Schneider? He goes, yes, that's how it works. It works on magic. So the things we're going to discuss today are Mr. Schneider types of magic that over the years, when I was a young man, people would make these statements, and then something I'm going to have one or two newer statements in there that you know, getting back to the point, to the part is if you hear something long enough that you think that it's real, even though it has no root in reality. And once again, I'm going to ask you guys to reach out to me. And if you know of have any stories from your past or even today that is a Mr. Schneider type of magic, then please share them with me and I would love to hear them. All right, so these are, I've got a couple items here, not too many, and then next week we will get back to some education instead of uh, instead of uh, horsing around with this show, right? I mean, the, so uh, that is it. All right, so the first thing, that I heard over the growing up, and I would say most of these, most of these are from my, my youthful days, and uh, I guess most of them. All right, my little everything backstory, right? My buddy Glenn and I were going to go up to Canada 
to uh, I used to call it. I know I have a lot of listeners. I used to call it Saint Pi, but I subsequently found out, like twenty years later, when I was teaching a class for Mister Gasket, uh, there was a gentleman there, and it's called Saint P. P, uh, but P, it's pronounced like P, P E A, but it's spelled Pi, and it, it is in Quebec. And there used to be a drag strip there, and it was called San Air Drag Strip. And um, they used, they had back years ago. My buddy Glenn and I went up there for the Molson Grand Nationals, right? Molson Beer. They were the sponsor for the Molson Grand Nationals, which was an NHRA event. All right, so I had a six. My I had a '68 Dodge Dart with a 225 and an A904 automatic. That's a car. I said replace that VW Bug that I can never get the gas gauge to work on. Dart was a great car. Nothing, no me- mechanical mysteries with that thing. All right. So anyway, so my father says to me, "You guys are going up to Canada." He goes, "Watch out." He he goes, "When you buy gas up there, it's going to turn your carburetor red." So all. With all due respect to my Canadian audience, my carburetor did not turn red. All right, so my father claimed that when you that if you did in Canada, that you, the gasoline would turn your carburetor red, and his basis for was that when after he got out of the war, he had a 1936 Lincoln Zephyr V12, and he went up to Canada. Uh, on vacation and touring with my mother and it turned the carburetor red so that is an old urban myth now to my canadian listeners if now this is going back many many years if years ago when you had leaded gas then let me know did it turn the carburetor red it did not turn the carburetor red on the dot but to tell you the truth i don't think no i didn't buy gas in canada because we bought gas and my we bought gas in new york state <laughs> that's what it was we bought gas in new york state because that wasn't that far into quebec and the dot had good range so i remember saying i'm gonna buy gas here because my dad said it my and then there was the exchange rate issues and everything so my dad said it's gonna turn the carburetor red so i don't know whether that's an urban myth or it's true so please uh, my canadian listeners reach out to me my uncle chris who uh was basically archie bunker and uh i mean i honestly think that they made the tv show archie bunker after him too many parallels i won't get into that too many too many parallels and you know to get back to my friend tommy who in electronics school with me all right i said from brooklyn is that uh even though it was i don't know whether it was whether tommy followed in in john travolta's footsteps or john travolta or whoever wrote that movie saturday night whatever saturday night live or saturday night fever all right um met tommy because where the where the person uh john travolta the, the character he played in the movie i believe he lived in greenpoint no he lived in brooklyn supposedly and he worked in a in a lighting store in manhattan and manhattan is right over the bridge the brooklyn bridge from uh so not far that's um, i don't even think it was a mile or two from where tommy lived and tommy worked in a lighting store in manhattan so maybe that's why and he looked a lot like john travolta all right so anyway but uh my uncle chris uh loved him was really a character they don't make people like him anymore he was a character he didn't want to be funny he didn't try to be funny but he was funny and back in 1966 all right uh i heard the story he went to go buy a new car he wanted to buy a ford 
thought, because he had a Ford, but there was no place to park in front of the Ford dealership, and there was a place to park in front of the Chrysler Plymouth dealership, so he ended up buying a 60s, 19, new at the time, 1966 Valiant 100 with a 170 cubic inch slant 6 and an automatic transmission and no power steering, no power brakes. All right, and then when he brought the dart home, he told everybody that it wasn't not the dart. Excuse me, it was a Valiant. Brought the Valiant home, he said that the slant six engines were no good because they're on the side, so only one side of the piston is going to wear out, and it's going to egg shape all the bores. So he was sorry he bought it, but that engine never wore out. So that was an old lore back then that a lot of people would say somebody started someplace and say, oh, that's land six, that's going to wear out because the engine's laying on its side, so the pistons are all going to wear out on one side and the other side of the piston isn't going to touch. So I don't know what they thought about V8s, but I guess because that slant six was really rolled over, then that is what so that was very common people would say, I'm not going to buy a slant six because it's going to wear out on one side or if I buy it, I have to get rid of it before it wears out. And that's why historically, the second and third owners of those cars are the ones that got the three, 400,000 miles on it because a lot of people got rid of them after the first 50, 60, 70,000 miles before they wore out because they were on the side, okay? Another urban myth lore I grew up hearing is that once you get a ping, meaning a detonation knock, a ping in a motor, you can't get it out no matter what you do so i guess they uh so <clears throat> that was a very common thing oh i got a ping in my motor uh, then you'll never get it out never get it out so i guess no one explained to them abnormal combustion and detonation or pre-ignition or post-ignition but that was very very common it was like saying that you got cancer or something you got a ping in the motor you just got to live with it for the rest of your life because the, no matter what you do you'll never ever get the ping out of that motor you could take it apart you could nobody ever spoke about carbon or octane it's just like a, like it was like a death sentence to the motor that you got this ping it's never going away forget about it buddy already another common law growing up as a young man all right and and it was wonderful as i said because we used to you know we i mean we used to you know have nicknames not for adults for our friends but you know getting you know getting back to blast off richie uh he wasn't in that class with the with the uh with professor gudis uh, but there was another guy tommy from brooklyn the guy looked like john travolta he had a 71 chevy uh impala two-door with a 307 in it and then we met this other guy this other kid well young guy they were all older than me a couple of years older and i don't remember his name but he had a 70 71 two-door silver caprice with a 350 because had the 350 badge on the fender and it was silver with a black vinyl top and black upholstery and we used to call him the armenian i don't remember what his name was but we just called him because he was an armenian so uh so there wasn't derogatory and we were all you know a blast off uh tommy and then uh the armenian and me they used to call me the hick was uh, we were all we were all friends and the armenian what he did is that the moog cargo coil springs maybe they just came out and he if he put <laughs> four moog cargo coil springs in this 71 caprice 
and the, the thing sat so high. I don't know if you put the wrong springs in it or what have you. The Moo cargo coils were a little bit higher, but this thing you practically needed a ladder to get into. And uh, the, the Armenian always used to douse himself a popular cologne back years ago, men's cologne, was Aramis. I think this guy swam, washed in Aramis cologne. We used to say, the Armenians, here's some lips. We could smell them, but it was wonderful, wonderful times. But anyway, uh, so uh, another lore back then <clears throat> was that if you never changed your automatic transmission fluid after a certain amount of time, don't change it because your transmission will fail. But this is a lore where it had some actual credibility to it but you know nobody explained what would happen so if you had an automatic transmission and the fluid was all burnt and smelled terrible and looked brown instead of red and you were to change it people no no don't change your transmission fluid because the transmission is going to blow leave it the way it is leave it the way it is right and then like i said there was a little bit of truth to it because then because what would happen is that that old fluid all of the additive package everything was 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 dissipated everything was gone and the transmission itself because the fluid was all burnt would actually create a lot of varnish inside the unit uh in the pan specifically in the valve body in the servos in the accumulator if it had an accumulator all right and then what would happen is that when you change the transmission fluid and put new transmission fluid in it the new fluid had a small amount of detergent in it so it had a it had a detergent effect we will say whether it truly had a detergent in it depending upon what they had type f they had uh dextron they had something else type f was for ford is that the new fluid had a cleaning effect and what it would end up doing lots of times not all the time is that it would loosen up that varnish and so now whereas this varnish was was and didn't happen overnight i mean you didn't put it in go around the block but in short order it would loosen up the varnish and lots of times the varnish would plug a uh, plug a passage in the valve body or they had check balls and stuff in the valve bodies back then and, and in the pat in this in the passages on the solenoids and what have you and um they didn't really have solenoids in back then but it would the varnish would loosen up and would plug something up so like 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 having a piece of plaque god forbid loosen up in your artery and then give you a heart attack or a stroke so there was some that but that was very very common and i don't everybody had their own qualify oh no no if you've got fifty thousand miles i'll change your fluid don't do it you'll ruin the transmission or, or whatever so everybody but that was very very common amongst the community of people that you do not have you don't change the transmission fluid because you'll blow up the transmission okay another thing i had and this is this is going to uh i'm sure a lot of chrysler fans from back years ago and i was a chrysler fan i was a mopar fan growing up as a young guy and, we, and like i said you know all my friends we were all working class people we were i'm not going to say we were poor but we weren't rich all right and uh so i mean we all had used cars and what have you and uh, so i was became a fan 
of any used car we bought. So if we had an Oldsmobile, I was an OP, I was a little kid, I'd be an Oldsmobile guy. And if I was a, uh, if we bought a, a, a Chrysler used Chrysler product, I was a Chrysler guy. If we bought a Ford product, I was a Ford guy. So I, I, I just, I got that brand loyalty for whatever my father bought used, and they were always all used. So what had happened was that we ended up getting, over time, settling in on a lot of Chrysler products, not because, for no particular reason, we never went to go looking for a Chrysler, and the cars, the used cars we always bought were from someone that we knew, and so they'd come and say, well, I'm buying it, my father's name is, I'm buying a new car, Ray, and you want to buy our XYZ, and then you have to realize that, and uh, there was, there was a propensity for Ukrainian and Polish people, and this was a Ukrainian-Polish area, predominantly Ukrainian back years ago, this agricultural area, is that Ukrainians always bought green Chrysler products. I mean, if we used to go up to Glen Spay, New York, when I was a young guy, my mother and my father, and there was a, every year up in Glen Spay, New York, there was a Ukrainian festival. And uh, we used to go there, and the whole, I would say 85% of the cars in the parking lot at the Ukrainian festival were green Chrysler products. So for some reason, if I mean, in, in this area, this neck of the woods, Warren County, a lot of Ukrainians, uh, this area, Hackettstown, a lot of Ukrainians, Slovak, most of Ukrainians, some Polish, no Russians that I'm aware of, and then they all had green Chrysler products. So we had a lot of green Chrysler products growing up. But what the people would say that were not that is that Chrysler's. And this is the part they said people take offense to, but it was not true. Chrysler's do not start in the rain. I mean, you could go to the supermarket and ask some guy who's cutting bologna, say, "Oh, Chrysler's don't start in the rain, All right?" So they never had a Chrysler, but they heard. Then again, they heard this law, these urban myths. All right, so many times that they would say would be knee-jerk reaction, Chrysler's don't start in the rain. And that had nothing to do with anything. The only time a car doesn't start in the rain back then was if you had a cracked ignition coil or cracked distributor cap or something. So, uh, so but, but Chrysler's don't start in the rain. They'd swear on a stack of Bibles, Chrysler's don't start in the rain. I don't know what the Ukrainian community thought of that. Maybe they felt they didn't have to go any place in the rain. Who knows? Another thing growing up I would hear is aftermarket parts are better than the factory parts because the factory wants the part to fail to, so they could sell you another one. And that it probably 99% of the time was completely wrong and completely backwards. I could never think of a time from being a child uh, up to an adult today and working in this community of where an aftermarket part was made to higher standards or better than a factory part all right so uh so who knows now do they have updated factory parts yes so maybe they designed something and then if you were to and maybe the aftermarket part kit but with rare 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 exception was any aftermarket part of higher quality or better or less prone to wear out or fail than a factory part but then again just like crisis don't start in the rain. You hear this? No, pop, pop. We're gonna, we know, uh, you know. No, no, no. That's what we're gonna do. We're gonna believe that, right? 
All right. Another common thing that an older person, older man, right, would tell a young man like me is that if you ever get a caddy, a Cadillac, right? Which I never had a Cadillac. I always wanted one. Had a new Lincoln. If you ever have a Cadillac and you got to go buy parts, like, and you go to the auto parts store, right, because the aftermarket is better, don't tell them you have a caddy. Tell them you have a Chevy. So if you need an air filter, tell them you got a Chevy. If you need a if you need a uh, oil filter, tell them you got a Chevy. So we're talking about service parts, right? If you need spark plugs, tell them you got a Chevy, because otherwise they'll they, they charge you less money. If it's a, if you tell them you got a Cadillac, the filter is going to be more expensive. The parts are going to be more expensive. Well, I don't know. I don't think that that was hundred percent correct. There may have been some economies of scale for amortizing the cost of producing air filters, an aftermarket air filter for a Chevy Impala versus a Sedan DeVille, all right, because it was a different size, a different fit, but whatever, never tell them, I mean, that was like, you know, that was like drilled into you as a young man, never tell them that you have a caddy because they're going to charge you more money, just tell them you have a Chevy and put a Nicholas, everything is the same, right, it all fits, all right, so that's what they used to claim already so that is something else and then uh let me see what else uh and then one last one which is a modern one which then again is gonna fly in the face of a number of my listeners all right is that uh and this is a modern one toyotas don't wear out when you talk to anybody, they know nothing about cars whatsoever. You get talked to some lady at the post office. Oh, Toyotas last forever. Toyotas last. Well, let me tell you something. And I know there's some listeners out there that have Toyotas. They happen to like Toyotas. That's a hundred percent fine. But I'll tell and you and you may be saying, well, hot rod. I'll probably get these. I had an XYZ and the motor blew up, and I bought a Toyota and it didn't blow up, and I don't want to. Well, whatever. I can't argue with your with your success or your failures with a vehicle i can't argue with that whatsoever but putting on the hat of ray coming from the automotive community they all break they're all in court getting sued for lemons they all have some potential problems all right the thing basically is is that and in i would have to say in the past 30 years the automotive marketplace, just like with farm tractors, is so competitive. But I'll stick with cars because Toyotas don't blow up, right? They last, Toyotas last forever. But uh, talk to the guy who had one blow up, and he feels quite differently. But anyway, but you can only go by your experience. But that is a broad-based thing, just like crises don't start in the rain, uh, every the other things that I mentioned, Ukrainian people buy well, the Ukrainian people buying green Chrysler products back then was true, at least in Warren County. All right, is that they all have problems? They all are mass produced. Is some better than the other? Well, <clears throat> probably marginally. There is not a new vehicle in the past twenty-five or thirty years that I would say is junk. Just like there's not a new farm tractor that is junk. 
all right? And you might say, oh, I bought this, and I had a lot of problems. Well, that, that, that's very well, but for everyone that had a problem with a John Deere, you'll find somebody, you'll find just as many people who have a problem with a Kubota. Anybody who has a problem with a Fent, you'll find just as many people who have a problem with a Case. If anybody has a problem with a, Toy- with a Chevy or a Ford, you'll find just as many people with a Toyota or a Nissan or a Honda that has problems. And that is basically the reality of it that specifically in the automotive market as i started to say that the competition is so tight there's no junk out there i mean you could go buy a kia or you could buy a mitsubishi you could buy a ford or you could buy a hyundai or a chrysler product or what have you and it's like super gas cars and drag racing they're all running within a thousandth of a second off the number and the thing is there are high yield farmers within three tenths of a bushel of one another or two bushels of one another is that so it's more based upon but you will have people they just yesterday people say oh toyota's never wear out i'm like okay thank you they said well here's my ford with a half a million miles on it and then when you tell them that they oh you happen you happen to get the, the the rare good one and so whatever but that is the modern the modern urban myth today that is so perpetuated that uh they don't wear out and uh, everything else is junk and uh that basically is it so hopefully i didn't step on too many toes today and hopefully you enjoyed it and i would love for you to share your stories with me and then i'm going to go full circle here all right and i'm going to ask you to share your mr schneider stories with me of how things or how you were told that things work on magic all right as mr schneider told professor gudis about a sinusoidal circuit so i want to thank you so much and next week so this actually was a follow-up to the one last week with the mechanical mysteries and i hope you don't mind it but we will get back to a little bit more serious business on the next idle chatter so you have a blessed blessed day and thank you so much for listening and just know when you look at an electric circuit it's just magic buddy mr schneider said it that's it case closed bye bye